All right. Everybody had a good week? Good week? Good. Good. It's better than the alternative, right? Bad week? Life is better than death. I uh, started this morning just thinking what a paradox it is to walk with God. You know, everything seems to be going in both directions at the same time. And it's just, it's hilarious, really. So, uh, God is good. I, uh, I have a, and we all do, I think, I have a life call. And, uh, I'm sitting there acting like a bad move up here. Scratching stuff. Oh well. Susan, would you take care of this for me? Uh, there, there. Uh, my life call has actually been defined, uh, in a couple of sessions in life. One early in my ministry and one later in my ministry. And, uh, and it has to do with you, of course. Uh, that's why I'm here. So, uh, you know, I'm not from Andrews. I'm from Lubbock. I can live my life up in Lubbock and I've been fine. But, uh, you know, God wanted me to come here and, and, and do my life call down here with you guys, which has been a tremendous blessing for me. Uh, my first life call was, was uttered by a prophet one time. And it was out of Joshua. He said, basically, that I would lead these people, you, into the promised land. That was my life call. And uh, there's, it's just been rich, you know, and all kinds of stuff has come out of that. And I think now that we're fulfilling that, that we, the body of Christ, even prophets around America have been speaking to that, that the church has literally left the wilderness and has entered into the promised land, and we're beginning to, to fight for the kingdom of God the things that God wants for us to all have. So that's been a, a call for me for over, gosh, uh, that, that first prophecy came to me back in 1982. So however many years that is, 37 years ago. Long time. My second life call was uh, actually in the last um, three or four years began to come at me. That And Paul Castano was another prophet. Uh, spoke this one over me. He said, Larry... Uh, and God had given him a dream, and in this dream he saw that at the, in the end time, God was going to raise up prophets who would clothe the bride. Prophets who will clothe the bride. And he says, Larry, you're one of them. I thought, well, no. I kind of like that call. So clothe the bride. I feel like that's where we're at also. So on the one hand, we got this promised land thing, which indicates warfare. And on the other thing, we have this clothe the bride, which indicates peace, warfare and peace. That's a paradox, is it not? They're both going on at the same time. Perhaps what we clothe the bride with not only is the wedding gown, the, the garbage, the littered garbage, but also the armor of God. Because I guarantee you this, that you will be resisted as you take the promised land. You have an enemy of your soul, and he is very good at what he does. Never underestimate your enemy. Satan is good at what he does. And so we're in the warfare. You need to have the armor of God on to conduct that warfare. And actually, part of that armor of God is the stuff that Al Houghton brought to us. It's in Ephesians 1. We'll go there later. And it's clothing the bride with who you are. You're chosen. You're accepted. You're all these things. And that's how you conduct your warfare, knowing who you are and to who you belong. Well, uh, I've got this, this dichotomy, this paradox thing going on. Warfare, peace. Warfare, peace. And it started for me actually back in the summer of last year when Susan and I went on vacation to Yellowstone. And... You know, for those of you that know me and my history, vacation has been like a four-letter word around here. Uh, good Lord, we have had uh, challenges, shall we say. Uh, my, my, the length of my vacation shortened, seemed like shortened from year to year until we finally had one vacation where it was one day. We drove to, to Colorado, Phyllis broke her leg, and we drove back. One day. So, you know, and that was one of many that we had that were just flat out disasters. <laughs> I don't know why I continued to go on vacation because they never ended well. You know, but I'm hard headed and don't say a word. Uh, 
we're married now, so she can say these things, and I can tell her not to. Uh, anyway, we went to Yellowstone. And of course, I'm a little bit reluctant, you know, going, oh, my God, here we go again. Because you know what happened? Before we ever left town, our water heater broke in my house. And, uh, yeah, that's a minor thing. But you know what? They always start out that way, you know. And it's like page one of the, you know, I don't know, some movie. And um, so we go over to get this water, a new water heater at Lowe's. And uh, borrow Dwayne's pickup. We go over there and get a water heater, and and we load it. And so I'm pushing the, the water heater in, and it's kind of sitting in there, and it just kind of drops about three inches. I thought, huh. So we drove back, and I get my tremendously successful son over there who can fix anything, do everything, to put the water heater in. And sure enough, we start running into trouble. And I'm thinking, did I break it? And then I thought, I didn't mean to break it. And then that started it. From that point forward, I had a series of events about, did I do something wrong? I didn't mean to do anything wrong. But I got to the point where I don't even care whether I meant to or not, where I wanted to or not. I'd like to live in a world where we don't have to go around all the time finding someone to blame about every single thing. Is that what we live like today? It seems like there is this, this pursuit every day, most of us on TV, it depends on which channel you watch, Fox or MSNBC, is who's, to, who's going to be blamed. But every single thing, we must find who did the wrong thing and punish that person, whether they intended it that way or not. I just want to live in a world without condemnation, where it's not that way. Is there anything wrong with that? And yet it doesn't seem to be so, does it? I found out later, you know, that it really wasn't my fault. They had actually a computer chip or something that was wrong with that thing. And I thought, I don't even, I don't even want that to justify me. Whether I was wrong or wasn't wrong, isn't there a better way? Isn't there? Is there? And yet we live every day looking for someone to blame. About everything. And here's what I found, you know, as we do that, if we keep that up, we begin to fight with one another. Or we're always looking for the offender and condemning that person. Someone must be punished. So we're always ending up fighting. And when we do that, we begin to focus on who did what wrong. We miss what God has called that person to do in their life, and we end up persecuting them. Did you know that? When all we can think about is what was wrong and who did it, then we miss the call of God on the person that we end up blaming. Do you believe that? Everybody has a few scriptures playing in their life. Everybody. Everybody has Jeremiah 29:11. God knows his thoughts for that every single person. Thoughts of peace and of a future. Everybody has Psalm 139 in their life. God has written all the days of their life before there were any of them, before there was one of them. He has written their life call. Romans 8, 28. And everything is working together for good for those that love him. Everything for everyone. And when we sit there and do this, we're just taking all those scriptures and just moving them off the platter and saying it don't matter. we got to stop this madness. Madness. And that started my vacation. That was before I even left. And let me assure you, it got worse. And I'm not going to spend my day today talking about that, but I am going to come back to that vacation and tell you what God has shown me concerning the promised land. I found out many things about that. Well, that was a witness to me that something was going on. And, you know, it reminded me, I'm just going to read this scripture over over you. Just You don't have to go there, but let me just read this this scripture to you. Um, Always finding someone to blame. And I love this right here. It says, uh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? 
I love that. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, who is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God making intercession for us. So even if you did do something wrong, you got the greatest warrior who ever lived, Jesus, sitting right beside God saying, put that one on me. See, it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness and sin. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. And I haven't even committed some of them that he has already covered. I haven't got there yet. But I know this. The blood of Jesus Christ is an eternal covering of my sin whenever it comes. Amen. Well, I, you know, I've had this amazing vacation with one after another of these events. Kind of, It was crazy. I couldn't even get a drink of water without getting blamed for something wrong. It was crazy. And I have to say this. Most of it was from women. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> are we surprised, ladies? I mean, after, after Rhea Nelson, really, are we surprised? Y'all changed my life. I'm no longer a virgin. That was a bad joke, right? Bad, bad, bad. Well, I come home, and we had Paul Castaños in here that weekend, and I kid you not, uh, here's my second witness. Uh, he gets off the airplane, and he starts talking about stuff. I mean, he is on the same exact path I am. And he brings a scripture about, you know, can't we live in a life where we're not always finding someone to blame? He says, and he used that scripture about the, the guy, the disciples of Jesus were walking. We talked about this last week. And they saw this guy. He was blind. He had been blind since he was a baby. And the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? Who can we blame? Y'all remember that? And what was Jesus' answer? Nobody. This was for the glory of God. God is going to move on this guy, heal him, and the kingdom of God is going to be seen. It's all for the glory of God. Can you, can you receive that? It wasn't because of something wrong. It had nothing to do with wrong. But he did. Amen? And I thought, when Paul started talking, I was like, we can talk. Because I had just gotten out of the baptism of this. And he said, and boy, we talked. And he ended up inviting us, and four of us went, Dwayne, Susan, me, and Michael. What a team we, we ended up being. Going out there to talk about that one thing. Can we live in a life without accusing one another of being wrong? Can we? Can the races get along? Can the sexes get along? Can the politics get along? All these things are just firing at one another all the damn time. And then the third witness was Al Houghton coming in here and, and talking about clothing the bride with Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. So turn there if you would. Ephesians 1. And he uh, had a prophet tell him that this teaching was because of God calling him to do this, clothe the bride. That this teaching does that. I thought, wow, we got the same call, clothe the bride. And all these verses, and by the way, he'll be here next Sunday, two services and and then on Monday. And finish this clothing the bride section of Ephesians 1. He gives all these attributes. There's nine of them that we are called to be and have already been put in that position by God before the foundation of the earth. Before any of you had done anything, this was already established in God's mind when he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to confirm it, to make it happen. So it's already a done deal. We just have to get there and accept what has been done. So in Ephesians 1, verse 4, it says, Just as God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, there's one thing, he chose us, that we should be holy 
and without blame before him in love. And on and on it goes for the rest of the chapter about the things that God has done to clothe us. The one I want to focus on today is what we've been talking about. Before the foundation of the earth, God ordained, he chose us to be without blame. Here we are walking around, finding fault or blame, and God has chose us to be the exact opposite. See, folks, the issue is not who is at fault. The issue is that we are finding fault. Did you hear that? There's, we live in a broken world. You do realize that. We are all in a sinful world. Nobody has hit the high mark. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Can you receive that for your brother? Can you receive that for yourself? That's actually harder. Did you know that? It's harder to believe it for yourself. I started preaching, uh, praying that, confess, let's confess that I'm without blame. Every time he would pray that, I would start crying. I mean, it would just choke me down. Because all I could think of was, man, I'm done. Do you know who I am? Do you realize what I've done in my life? The thoughts that I've had? The places that I've been? The way I feel about me? And you're telling me to say that? Really? And yet it's true. It is the truth. I need to receive it so I can treat others that way. Without blame before the foundation of the earth. Whether, and I like this, what this Zodiates guy says, whether you deserve it or you don't deserve it. It's not a question of deserving it. It is a gift. It's just a gift, a gift from God, without blame. And then Al said, look, we need to start doing this now at home. He said, husbands, y'all remember this? You need to start treating your wife as if she's without blame. Do y'all remember that? He said that last time. And everybody thought, <laughs> I'm having a hard time not being bitter. Most husbands say, you know, God says, love your wives and don't be bitter. Well, that's pretty hard to ask. And now you're telling me to treat her as if she's without blame? Why does that matter? Because of all people, the women of the church are the model of the bride. Look over Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. He talks about the husband and the wife as being a type of the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. In Ephesians 5, verse, let's just pick it up in verse 22. It said, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and he's the savior of the body. So he always, when God starts talking to a, a man and a woman about their relationship, now get this. He always, and you just check me out on this, he always starts with a woman. It seems to me that's not, that's counterintuitive. Uh, I would always, I always thought until I started reading it that he would start with a man. He's the head of the house. Not so. He starts with a woman. And then he turns to the man. Go read the book of Genesis. Who did he talk to first after everybody blew it? The woman. And on and on, it goes always through the Bible, you'll see this. So he tells her first, here's what I want you to do. I want you to submit to your husband in everything. In everything. Just submit to him. And look at verse 33. Nevertheless, let every, each one of you in particular love his wife as himself. And the last part, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here's the two things that a woman is supposed to do. She's supposed to submit to the husband in everything. How hard is that, ladies? Okay, that, that was honest. I wouldn't let you have that one. I started saying, so why aren't you doing it? But, you know, you, already, you, you trump me. I will say this. You can't do it. How about that one? Only Christ in you is your hope for glory here. 
He's the hope for glory for everyone. It is his grace that lets you do anything that he tells you to do. It is the gift of God. It's the power of God moving through you. So don't worry about that you are incapable of doing it, but rejoice that he can do all things. And you have to let him do it. Amen? That's your part. Let him do it. So you submit to him and respect. That word is, the Greek word is phobos, which means fear. Fear him. Now there's a lot, there's a whole spectrum on what that word touches, but you can count on this. I mean, it, mainly respect, but don't kid yourself. It also borders on this I- issue of just out, out fear. Ladies, I mean, honestly, have you ever made your husband so mad that you were afraid of him? Can I see a bunch of hands here? Any hands. Have you ever seen your husband that mad? Were you ready to duke it out then, or are you wanting to get out of this room? Don't ever tug on Superman's cape. Right? And I don't care how big he is. I was looking at Michael and Shannon. Susan and I, not Susan and I, this is way for her, but Susan and I, Phyllis and I, and she was bigger than I was, Phyllis. But we had moments when we were young. I mean, I'm not trying to brag. I'm a little guy, but don't, don't get a man going. Because once he unleashes that, you're going to lose. And the God set it up that way. You should fear that. You know why? Because now you're showing something about the bride in Christ. You, we should all fear God. He could take you out in a moment. So what you're doing is you're telling the world this is the way you act toward God. Yeah, you respect him and you know, all that kind of stuff. But don't ever lose that one point and fear him. Al's point, ladies, if you will start doing this with your husband, you will unleash the fear of God into this world. And that's the great thing that we are missing right now. If the people had the fear of God going right now, they wouldn't be going around pointing at his services saying, you're wrong. They wouldn't do it at all. They'd be afraid that God would get them. All right, so that's the ladies' part. Men, your part is what he said, love her. And... Treat her as if she's without blame. Let's go back to chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Look at verse 27. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish or blame. You treat her now like that says, like she's without blame. Men, can you do it? Absolutely not. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory as well. Because how hard is it to ignore everything? And so we, what do we do? We get into the blame game. Would you lo- have loved to be a fly on the wall the day after the debacle at the Garden of Eden? I mean, they could make a movie on that deal. Who do you think was doing that? Of course they were. They were. And it has been fought over ever since, right? Who was to blame? Everybody, really. Everybody. But until you accept that Christ has set you free from that, you're going to be a prisoner of it. And if you are locked down with being blamed, you will always find blame in other people. It's the truth. It's the truth. So I'm, I'm pleading with you. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to put, talk down to you. I really am not. I want us to get a handle on this if we can. Through the word of God. And see if we can walk out of this blame game. We're, this country is so stuck into this that if we don't watch it, we're going to destroy ourselves. We're going to destroy the United States. We're going to end up with a revolution. And we're going to start shooting each other. 
Because that's all that's really left right now. We've fired enough bullets with our mouth. The only bullets left are the real deal. And if some of them stop it, it's going to get out of hand. That's my take on it. Now, what is blame? It's this Greek word, uh, animos. And it means the absence of internal blemishes. Like a lamb. You know, when they sacrificed the lamb, it had to have no blemishes. Now, in the, in the New Testament, it's implying something inside. A blemish. Inside. Because if it's in your, say, in your heart, then it's going to come out of your mouth and it will spot you. So you have, without spot, the things that you say that stick to you and things that are inside you that make you want to say it. Without blemish inside. It's a combination of two words. One is just a negative word. The other is momos, which means blemish or insult. Now, let's just kind of go here, shall we? Without insult. Are we hearing that at all today? Or is it nothing but insults? Oh, it just blows my mind. And when you see it at the highest levels, like there's stuff that's going on right now with Trump and Congress, it's just like petty insults all the time. I got it right. I don't even listen to it anymore. Here's my new, my new menu of watching TV. I'll get up, and I'm not saying this is godly, but I'll say this is what I do. I watch a little bit of a business, like Fox Business. I just want to hear how the stock markets do it. Am I losing money today? Then I'll watch a little bit of Sports Center, maybe the top ten or the not top ten. And then I'll watch a little bit of the 700 Club, get a little bit more news, because the other two have a little bit of news, but not a lot of news. Just enough to know what the chief issue of the day is. And a bunch of religion. And then I'll turn that dead gun thing off. Because I'm tired of hearing heathen tell me how I ought to feel about other Christians. Because that's what we're doing. I listen to Fox. I think that everybody on the left coast is going to hell right now, and they need to. And if, they, if you go out to the left coast, like we did, it's all MSNBC, and they're telling everybody out there, why we're going to hell. We're a bunch of bigots. They're telling, they're telling God's people the way they ought to feel about God's people. Enough of this. I don't want to hear it anymore. I want to hear God tell me what he thinks about everybody. That's my messenger, not them. And if, if, even if they're Christians, like, oh, well, Fox got a bunch of Christians, well, then they need to stop it. Amen? They need to repent and put an end to it. That's the way I feel about it now. Enough. Well, I love the root word of this without blame. <laughs> of course, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? It means to find blame. To find fault. Now, then, I want to ask you a question. We just read the scripture about how the bride of Christ is going to look when he comes back. Without blame. Without blame. And Ephesians 1 says that's one of the, the things that clothe us, is that we, we are without blame. How can we be that way if we live a life where we're always finding fault with somebody else? Do you not know, folks? Let's just read the Bible. Do you not know what the Bible says about some basic things of truth? Here's one. Judge not, lest you be judged. For with the same measure that you use, it's going to be used back at you. Whatever measure that is. How about adding this on top of that? Whatever you sow, that you will also reap. If you sow fault, blame, finding, and all that kind of stuff, what are you going to reap? Tell me, what will you reap? And ladies especially, doesn't it hurt your feelings when someone finds blame in you? Don't, doesn't it? And so what do you do? You get mad. And you fire back. And what are you doing? You're sowing to the flesh. What do you expect to get? More flesh. And it's a, just a never-ending cycle. And again, I'm not putting you down, ladies, especially you ladies. Y'all changed me at Rio. For the first time, I began to say, you know, Rod, this is really not your fault. It took me 60 years to figure out that it wasn't your fault. 
It was the judgment of God in, in the book of Eden. I mean, in the, in the Garden of Eden. He said, because what you've done, you let yourself be deceived. You're wanting, you will want to control your husband. You will want to. Instead, you need to submit to him. So your lifelong deal is to overcome your great desire to tell him what to do. As simple as that. It's the daily fight. I'm not blaming you. And I, I told the men this. Quit being mad at her because she's always finding fault with you. She's trying to control you by finding fault with you. Am I right, ladies? How can you control someone by pointing out what's wrong and pulling them down? And for the longest time, I always felt like, and I spoke for most men, that men really feel like that women blame them for everything. Am I right, men? Liar. He's only been married a little bit. Well, you know, and so like, you just get tired of that. So what do we do, guys? We check out. And we disengage. And we're not busy loving her. We're a busy avoiding her. Amen? So, I always thought that's the way the game is played until I went to Rio Dosa. And then I found out, oh, we're so far down that list of being blamed. I was fooled. They blamed themselves. And then they blamed other women. Men are like fourth or fifth on that list. Am I right, ladies? My God, you can't even go to the grocery store without feeling like someone's going to judge you. Am I right, ladies? Stop it, please. See, you won't, you're going to be blamed as long as you keep doing that. Does that make sense? And I'm telling you, it's Christ in you that's going to get it done. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to put you down saying you need to pray. Just pray. Ask God to help you every minute if you have to. Like I say, Garden of Eden, I bet that was like, well, you did, then you did, and everybody did. We find fault. And I think this is what is our end time battle in bringing the body of Christ into unity and being clothed as the bride. Because as long as we keep pointing out what's wrong with one another, we are not unified. We are not one body, and we are not clothed in righteousness. Period. Well, when I, when I started thinking, I thought, you know what? I am <laughs> buttoning a stump, as we used to say. I'm trying to change this, really. Who can change anything? I can't change myself. One thing I can do, and I'm offering it to you, just, just offering this to you. I can preach the word. We can at least all read the Bible, can we not? And just see what the Bible says and then ask God to, to engraft that Bible, that word into us and let Christ begin to be formed in us in that area and so that we can grow. Now, will you allow the word of God in? I'm asking you a question. Can you do that today? Let's just read it and see what it says. The reason I even ask you that question is because it says at the end time, in the end days, there will come a day where they will not tolerate the word of God anymore. They don't want to hear it. Are we there? See, I kind of think we're there. So I'm asking you, please, just let it say what it says. That's all I'm asking. So let's see what it says. Let's look over at Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Verse 12. Paul says here, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my essence. Look at this next part. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That same word for fear that we talked about earlier. Phobos. You must understand that what God has given you is precious, and it costs him dearly. It costs him his son. 
So what he has given to you should be treated with the highest regard of respect and fear. Salvation is given to us to be free of these things that we've been talking about. Okay, it really has been. We don't have to be that way anymore. We don't have to be. We're sons of God now. God's not like that. We have him now in us. Let me just keep on reading. kind of goes with this. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. God is doing this in you, not you. God is doing this in you. Now, <laughs> this next part kills me. Verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Uh-oh. Does that sound good to y'all? You know what the word there, complaining, means? Grumbling secretly. Huh. How many times do we get bad news about someone and we want to tell someone else, don't tell anybody now. But did you hear? And in a matter of three minutes, anything that's been this bad will be all over this town in three minutes. If, if, if that. And we always say, now don't tell anybody. Do we not? I mean, can we, can we bust ourselves here? Whisper, whisper, whisper. And do you really believe that they're not going to tell anybody? Honestly. Someone told you. And here you are talking. So do all things without that. Secretly grumbling. And the other one, what was the other one? Disputing. Oh, you know what that word means? To argue. Well, we don't argue in the Brewer household. We debate. (laughs) Right. Aren't you cool? We debate. So that, verse 15, he said these things, so that, if you, if you do these two things, so that you may become blameless. Wow. You mean I have a part to play in this blameless thing? Yeah. Quit sowing to the flesh. Amen? Do all things without arguing and spreading the good news. About my enemy messed up thing. Stop it. So that you can become blameless. Children of God. Without fault. And I like this last part. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. You are supposed to be God's witnesses. This this generation is perverse. There's no doubt about it. So there's what the word says about. This in one place. I love this part. He says, so that you may become. Verse 15. Look at that again. You may become. Now, in the Greek, they have what they call this tense and voice and mood about most words. The tense is like, okay, present tense. We're talking about right now. Past tense. Future tense. The voice is who's speaking it. Is it me or is it a third person? The mood is what we're going to look at today. Yet you may become. The mood of that is what we call the subjunctive mood. Subjunctive mood means this. It's possible. But it may or may not occur depending on the circumstances. So it's possible that I can become blameless. It's possible. But it may not happen. What would keep it from happening? That thing. My words. Clear? Clear as mud. Amen. Let's move on. There's there's more of these. I just love these. Colossians 3. May become. I was like, dumb and dumber. You're saying I got a shot. What did I be? Colossians 3. Look at the caption above above verse 12. This is the character of the new man. And all of you 
have a new man in you. When you were born again, you became a new man. Here's the character of a new man. This is what he's supposed to be like. What he's like is just like the firstborn, Jesus. Read it. Verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, and here's the character of God, or of Jesus, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. That means suffering long with someone. Not just today, years, decades even, long. Verse 13, bearing with one another. That means to tolerate them, have tolerance. What's the one accusation against Christianity today? That we are intolerant. Spoken of by people who are intolerant. Right? Don't let that buffalo you. That's jazz. So we're supposed to tolerate one another. How many things do we have to tolerate? Yeah, that's a tough one. You're the one that really gets me with Susan. I'm, I'm just, I rebuked her sharply over this. Go up there and I just want to turn on the freaking faucet. There it is. There's a deal. The faucet. And I can't. You know why? She put her contact uh, solution right next to it. I mean, within a quarter of an inch. Every time. And I have put up with this for years. I finally couldn't handle it anymore. I just blew. I had to explain to her there's a better way to live. We get crazy over the stupidest things. Where's Kim? Is Kim still here? I started walking away a while ago. I have a, I have this picture frame on my credenza, about that big. And right in the middle of it is a 25-cent stamp. I've had that thing for 25 years or longer, 30 probably, because Phyllis and I had an argument one time. I mean rock 'em sock 'em argument because she used my last stamp. Oh, I wouldn't have it. I'm just not going to have this anymore. My God, when we down to the last stamp, you couldn't tell me. And so I have that 25 steel stamp for the rest of my life. I look at it at least once a week. So what are you not, not tolerant of? It's usually stupid things. Am I right? It's the little foxes that destroy the vine. Little things. That was just one word. How about forgiving one another? Now, let's just keep reading, because this is where this scripture gets really interesting. Forgiving one another. Now, why? If anyone has a complaint, in other words, if anyone has something that they can actually blame someone for, let's get off the faucet thing for a minute. Let's say that there really is something that's not right. Let's say you're getting loaded every day. I've been here. We do know what loaded means in this church, do we not? What's your drug of choice? What are you supposed to do about that? Is that, is that something I should just let happen all, all the time? For the rest of my life, if you really have a legitimate complaint, I mean, this is a real deal. No doubt about it. What is your solution? Because there are those out there, right? We made fun of the ones about the contacts. What about drugs? What about booze? What about adultery? What about stuff that matters? It gets your heart. What about it? You have a complaint. What are you supposed to do? That's a good question because it has the answer right here. If any of you really have a complaint, you are to forgive one another, even as Christ forgave you. So you must also do. And then above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To which also you were called into one body. And let this part be thankful. Be thankful. Focus on all those words that we just read, people. Love, 
peace, thankfulness, forgiveness. I've learned it the hard way. I've got a t-shirt that's bigger than all outdoors. Some things cannot be fixed except for forgiveness. That's it. There is no other thing that will fix it. You can't get a pound of flesh. Nothing will fix it. You can't change them. Nothing will fix it. The only thing that will fix it is in my heart. Christ forgives everything. He does. Doesn't he? Just as Christ forgave you. So when Al says, let's talk about, I've been without blame before you, God. Instead of breaking down and crying, I can say, thank you. You forgave me for everything. Things I never want to talk about. The rotten stuff. So surely there's some space in there for what that person just did. You get it? The grace of God is that powerful. If you agree. But if you let the mouth start running and pointing all this stuff out, pointing out the obvious, you're not getting anywhere. Except you won't be without blame. Because you are a blame finder. You're doing what Satan does, accusing the brethren. Do you really want to go there? Fear of God should say no. Well, that was a good one. Jude 6. Jude 16. The book of Jude, one chapter. Jude 16. Look at the caption above verse 16. Apostates predicted. Now, all through the New Testament, there's a, that theme going through there, that at the end time, which I think that we're probably close to, if not in, at the end time, there will, there will be a great falling away among the church. Apostates. Here's how they look. Verse 16, they are grumblers, complainers, they complain. In other words, they find blame. The same word, animos. They find blame. Apostates do that. In other words, if you continue to sow blame finding, fault finding, it can literally cause you to lose what you've got with Christ. You can fall away. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Amen. Are you hearing this? This is not game playing here. This is not an option on a menu. This is just simple fear God and obey Him. If you love me, keep my commandments. How can I come at you? Fear, love, want, respect, whatever it comes down to, it always ends up the same thing. Just obey Him. And you say, I can't. But He can in you. That's the truth. Let Him do it. Quit trumping God. Quit doing it. Quit saying, I can't. Start saying, God, you can. Let those words come out of your mouth. Apostates complain. They walk after their own lust, and they their mouth, great swelling words. Look down in verse 19. These are sensual people who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. And again, this is the thing that's dividing the body of Christ. So that we can't even hear what the Holy Spirit's saying through another group, because they're not our group. But they're Christians. And I'm seeing it firsthand right now. And I, I, don't want, I don't want this problem. But it comes with this calling that God has given to me to clothe the bride. We've got to take care of this. And the only way I can do it, my part, is to just call it out. And point out to the scriptures what applies, and then let God be God. And let God work on people's hearts. I hope he's working on ours. First Thessalonians 3. Verse 12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that 
he may establish your hearts blameless. Blameless. In holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. One of the points I want to make out of this verse is that this definitely is a second coming of Jesus issue. When he comes back, folks, we it's over. You know what I mean? There ain't another day to get this right. That is the day that it's over and you ought to be in this condition. Because he's looking for the blameless. And if you're not that, there's trouble in your life. I don't know what kind of trouble, but it ain't good. So it's an end time issue. Look at the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Talk about end time. The book of Revelation is every young Christian's favorite book. Verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the voice, the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throng, before the uh, four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. In their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault, blameless, before the throne of God. So these people are those without the blame. Now, these guys made it. They're without blame before the Lord. So we know, now this guy, Zodiates, he's a Greek scholar. The guy's amazing. He writes this about that. Believers in the tribulation are without blemish in spite of all the judgment of God that's around them during the tribulation. So there's a guy that believes that, you know, Christians going to deal with this stuff. And in the midst of all this stuff that's going to be happening, where no one's going to repent, and they're going to hate Christians, they're still without blame. I mean, they're getting resisted. And they are still not fired back. They settled the issue. I don't need to defend myself. I don't want to defend myself. How about that, man? I don't want to defend myself to you or to me or to anyone. I just want the blood of Jesus to make me okay. And that's simple enough. And that's what these guys did. Last scripture. Look at Philippians chapter 3. This is interesting. Because this gets down to me. The how-to, you know, the nub of the matter. What do we do? Or what have we been doing that we need to stop doing? How do you fix this? Look at Paul and his example. Let's pick it up in verse 1. Paul talking here in chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of of the mutilation. What he's talking about is Jews, Judaizers. They wanted to suck these new Christians back into the law of Moses. Beware of them, he's saying. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, he's starting to draw a distinction between those who live by the law, the Jews, and those who now live in the New Testament era. We don't have confidence in the flesh. It doesn't matter how many uh, laws I can keep. We have no confidence at all in that. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. We worship God in the Spirit, not on things I do. Are y'all hearing this? Not on things I do, and not on things that I don't do. We're not talking about a list of things anymore. We're talking about who do you know? Who do you have a relationship with? Amen? Are you getting me? Okay, let's just keep reading. 
He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, and here's why. If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, and here's why. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Here's the law. Here's what Jews did. Circumcised the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. In other words, I was, man, I was maximized. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Wow. He went that far. You think he was finding fault? To the point of persecuting. Folks, and he's not talking about, oh, I just put a post on Facebook and I, and I defriended them too. No, he was trying to hunt them down, put them in jail, and kill them. Men, women, and children. This guy was a murderer. But he was justified by the law. Isn't that weird? But he was doing that. I mean, he, he maxed it out. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Now look at the next part. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I had no blame. I did it. Wow. Wow. Huh. I like what Kittle says about this, about verse 6. Our problem in this is the need to be blameless by the law. Here's our problem. That we have this need to be blameless by a law. That the law of Moses or a law. In fact, let's look at what Paul was referring to. He says, uh, zeal for the law and the fulfillment of the halakha. So there was the law and the halakha. Now this is interesting. I had never read this one. Halakha means this. The way to behave. Uh-oh. The way to behave. Now, that's based upon 613 commands of the law, the subsequent, later in time, Talmud, the rabbinic law, and then later, customs and traditions. There were six categories of law. And Paul was blameless in all of that. Wow. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you have a code of conduct that you swear must be adhered to by you and by anyone for that matter? The way to behave. Now, this is where it gets really hard. Speaking to the women again. Because you are tasked, are you not, to teach your children how to behave. Right? And of course, husband's supposed to be involved, but you know, he's working. How to behave. And how does that usually go? Well, we, we don't do that. Whatever that is. We don't run into church. We do these things. Am I touching anybody's buttons? Let us all go to Walmart. Oh, God, help us. <laughs> and as you go in, let's go. No, let's go, not any Walmart. Let's go to the Walmart in Odessa on 42nd Street. The Becca of all that there is Walmart. Everybody's dressed in, you know, tights and saran wrap and... There's more women and children than there are men. I wonder why. They're of every race. And a lot of them have buggy, you know, carts that they're pushing. Oh, my God. What could go wrong? Well, we don't behave like that. Man, can I ask the men this one question? And I want you to be honest. When you're driving a cart in a grocery store, 
do you not go on the right side of the aisle? Absolutely. Absolutely, Absolutely. because God Almighty, that's the 612th law of the 613. Right? That's how we behave. And we don't allow our kids fill in the blank. Touch anything. As uh, at four of them, they're throwing, throwing cans of beans back and forth. Am I right? And does it matter? Does it matter? In the kingdom of God, does that matter? Really? You mean there's no answer from Jesus at all? Did I not just read 15 scriptures? How about bearing up to one another? Long-suffering. I, I can pull out a million of them. But no, we get all torqued about how we behave and what's important to us. You know, in cultures especially. Oh, my God. Did we learn something in California about what really we need to be talking about versus what they talk about? Now, see, when we think, and we get a political party that agrees with us, right? Well, I'd be okay with that immigration thing if they would do it legally. Would you really? Really? You want to just take that off the table and just see how far deep we can go? Do you have all against one another? Is there more to it than what you're letting on? I mean, I could really, really go lawyer on anyone here. And I want to. Because Paul showed us something that is so important. This need to be made righteous or blameless based upon a code of conduct is stupid. Because here's the point. You can actually do it. Paul says, concerning all those things... I did it all. I did them all. And then, let me read the rest of what Kittle says. It comes to this point. The fact that you keep trying to do it that way, become blameless by this code of conduct, that in itself becomes sin. This way of living, that becomes the sin. And righteousness by law becomes impossible. Not because Paul couldn't keep the law, but because keeping it is itself sin. Wow. You all just messed up. You mean the more I do this, the worse I get? Yeah. This becomes the road to Damascus experience for every one of us. It did for Paul. He maxed it out with his code of conduct. And lo and behold, going to do a more zealous thing, kill some more Christians. And what happens to him on the road to Damascus? Jesus shows up, knocks him off of his donkey, and says this, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Let that seek you. Because every time we do this, we think it's somebody that deserves it. You think Jesus deserves it? Because that's the way he's looking at it. That's the way he's looking at it. So every time you have this unction, this need, this desire to set the record straight, think about who's on the other end of that thing. Jesus is. He said this way, who are you? that you would judge another man's servant. By his own master, he rises or falls. And yes, God is able to make him stand, even in the light of your condemnation. So how do we get out of the mess that we are all in, by the way? We start today. And you know, the minute you get up, there's going to be a temptation to say something bad. Am I right? And you can start, well, Larry's an idiot. Given that, it may be true. I can't even do signs, you know, sign language anymore. I don't care. And I don't want to care. I want to get to where Paul finally got. 
It's a small thing for me that you would judge me. It doesn't matter anymore. Then he goes on. I don't even judge myself. Oh, God, I want to live better. I don't even want to judge myself. God's my judge. If there's something wrong, he's going to come tell me. I can trust him to do that. Not because he wants to set me right, because he wants to love me right. Amen? Folks, love is the answer for everything. You want to stop the madness? Start loving. Just start loving. And if you don't know what love looks like, read 1 Corinthians 13. Put it on your refrigerator. All those things that love does and doesn't do. It's not, it's not 613 commandments. It's not what brewers do. Well, we behave this way. And they don't. None of it matters. I want to live in a world where it doesn't even matter. I am totally justified by him. Clothed like a bride. Amen? Now, next week, Al's going to come in here and finish this thing off. I recommend it highly. Let us pray. Father, I pray for your bride. And this portion of that bride. Oh, God, set us free from us. Set us free from this law and this devil that takes the law of sin and death and accuses us of them. Stuff is true. But it doesn't matter anymore. Set us free. And let us just walk like a free person, beautiful, radiant, wonderful before you. Because we've been set free. Do this, I pray in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. See you tonight at 6 o'clock.